Our third child is the first child that had no daycare. So our oldest was three years old when Andy started staying home. Our middle was nine months. And then our littlest was born and so only had the daddy as the caregiver. And I remember the night before I went back to work where Andy was like, hmm, I don't really like the newborn little baby stage. (laughs) I hadn't experienced that yet alone. (laughs) Wait, 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 what? You know, this is not going to work if you don't like this. It's also like when we bought the minivan uh, before we had our first, actually. Well, I was like eight months pregnant, so we weren't Yeah, we are about late. to have it, and we're sitting, and we, we bought it, and we're both sitting in the car dealership, and I say, I'm not going to drive this. And we just bought it, and Colleen said, well, I wasn't planning to drive it. <laughs> so, That's great. <laughs> like, why are we getting a minivan? We a job of anticipating. <laughs> But we just loved it because it was like going to be so convenient, but neither of us wanted to drive it. So Andrew ended up driving it. I'm writing notes. Do you see my pen? I got notes right here. Yeah, I'm looking to make it a little lighter. Are we mutually aligned oh, right now? Oh, my goodness. Uh, there's, there's always two, two versions. <laughs> I mean, you're moving a little slow, but... Working I, I, really a- hard. <laughs> we will definitely talk about that later. <laughs> Love or work. Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. We're back again on this amazing series about parenting. Today, we have a really special one that we can't wait to get into. You know, we've been trying to get them on the podcast for a long time. So, so long. And we got them. <laughs> well, they're very busy. They're, they're very busy. busy. So today we are interviewing Andrew and Colleen Kraft. And Andrew is the founder of Dwell Service, which is basically a um, cleaning company that employs women refugees from the Clarkston area here in Atlanta. Uh, he calls himself janitor-in-chief because uh, he's also a stay-home dad for 12 years now with his kids. And Colleen is the... Hang on. Isn't it it just ironic that a stay-at-home dad created a cleaning service so then he doesn't have to clean his house? Oh, I I hope he uses it. I didn't ask him that, but he he probably exactly. Yeah, that's kind of funny. (laughs) All right. And Colleen is the associate chief medical officer at Emory University. She's a big wig, guys. Yeah, she's she's kind of a big deal. She gets involved in all the things. She's involved in infectious disease and uh, department. So therefore, she's had a big job this year with the COVID uh, pandemic. And we're going to get into some of that with her as well. Yeah, this is a really good one. Two incredibly purposeful people. Yes. So what should we be listening for? Well, we're going to talk about Ebola loosely. (laughs) It's just, you know, you got to put a little zinger in there. We're going to talk about gender norms. Mm Mm-hmm. And the stress of being a breadwinner. Oh, yeah. I thought that we really did a lot of that talking, too. Well, she's pointing at things in my... On your notes? Notes here. I had five things I could have said, and I just picked them. What were you pointing at? The technology? technology. Yeah, we do talk a lot lot about technology. We do. So I think that's really, if this is something So listen to four things. Listen to five things. Listen, Just listen. 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 This is a good one. It's a good one. Here we go. So here we go. Andrew and Colleen Kraft. So 
So Colleen saw me at our university and she actually asked me out on our first date. So we were both working in the admissions office. I was kind of a boss in that admissions office and she wanted someone cultured to go to Handel's Messiah. So I didn't really ask him out on a date. I asked him if he wanted to go to Handel's Messiah on campus and he turned it into a date. So So we went to Chi Chi's. A celebration of food. Oh, okay. High fancy establishment. Then we went to Handel's Messiah where we saw his boss and she saw us sitting together. So that was a little And this was a conservative Christian university and dating within the admissions office was a little frowned upon. Then he made dessert in his apartment. So that was nice. And I I went for it. So then we did long distance. I graduated that year and went off to work down in Mississippi for five years. Colleen, a couple years later... Graduated from undergrad, went to medical school. We dated long distance for... Six years. Six years. With intermissions. Yes, we did have some breaks. Ultimately, we were able to both move to Atlanta, where Colleen took on a residency at Emory, and I moved my job down to Atlanta. And that's when we first lived in the t- same time zone, same state, same city. We were able to get married. Wow. That's a long time dating far apart. So when you guys came and were actually in the same place, did it feel easy or was that really hard to adjust and get used to? Well, I was in residency working. So you're busy. 80 plus hours a week. So it was still being long distance. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So the pilot had been good training for us to not spend a whole lot of time together. Yeah, exactly. Even when you're in the same place. Yeah. I really feel like God redeemed the time that we, because we had ups and downs and it's, you know, it's not like long distance now where there's FaceTime and Skype and actually cell phones. It was like landlines mostly, or like those flip phones. It was good that we went through that because I think it was tough. And so then, you know, it it helped us be able to get through other things. We had to learn how to communicate because that's all we had was communication. We didn't get to be together a whole lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of effort to see each other. I mean, you took a Greyhound bus down one time mm-hmm. to Nashville and I came up to get you and that was an ordeal. Back in those days when communication was a lot harder. Now, fast forward, you have been married. How many years? You have three sons, right? Right. Been married uh, 19 years in June. Wow. Very similar to us. We got married yeah. months, just a couple months apart. I know. And three boys. And now life is, I mean, you're done with medical school, obviously, Colleen, and you're a doctor at Emory. And Andy, tell us about what you're doing. So back in 2009, I was working for Kimberly Clark and Colleen was at Emory. Uh, we we're both traveling. We had two kids at that point. And we decided that one of us just needs to stay home. Things were too crazy with who's going to miss work today because one of the kids is sick and traveling and navigating all that. I certainly liked what I did, but I didn't love it working in corporate America. Colleen loved her work and still does. We made a choice to head her direction and support her career. And I was fine with leaving corporate America behind and staying home with the two boys we had. And we had a third one on the way. We were also potentially moving to Tanzania at that same time. So that made the decision easier. And ultimately, we didn't go to Tanzania. But as a result of that kind of experience where we thought, you know, we want to go live somewhere else in the world. When we didn't choose that, we kind of said, hey, the world is right here in our backyard with Clarkston, right? And there's refugees that are living here that we can come alongside of. And so I just started to volunteer helping them navigate life here. 
working with them on resumes and interviewing skills and helping them figure out public transportation and how to shop and where to go. And then eventually thought we could start a business that employs people here, specifically women who need work. And so as a result of that, we just kind of made a list of opportunities that I thought I could manage on the side while raising our boys. And that's how Dwell, which is a residential and commercial cleaning company, started. And so we are in our 10th year now of that. Wow. Still a small business, but we'll have generated $3 million in revenue by the end of this year. All of that has really gone to the men and women doing the work. Hmm. So that has provided for their families and uh, hopefully helped them get what they need and where they want to go. So both of you are living very purposeful lives in very different spectrums in a lot of ways. Colleen, can you share a little bit about, you have a huge title, but share what you, some of the things you've actually been able to be a part of the last few years. Yeah, I think because of your question asking about what our passion is, I think my passion is relieving suffering. You can do that in a lot of different ways. So um, I have really been blessed in my job to be able to do all sorts of fun things. I don't like doing the same thing over again and over again every day. So I get to take care of patients, see patients in the hospital. I get to work and run a clinical laboratory. I got to coordinate our system, COVID testing during the pandemic. I have done some really bizarre things such as care for patients with Ebola virus disease in a biocontainment in the United States. She was on the news, by the way, everybody. Yeah. So I've gotten to become more comfortable with, you know, sort of media and really loved that for the way that you can try to message complex things to lay people. I really enjoy that interaction. It's almost like an educational thing for me. Like I, of course, like training doctors, mentoring research people, but I really also like engaging the community and trying to talk through things that I think we've made overly complex sometimes, or we've not given people the benefit of the doubt that they can have understanding. So I think we've seen that a lot during our current pandemic. I've gotten to work with the development office. I've gotten to work with federal affairs. In the last year, I took on this leadership role in the healthcare system, which was a little stressful during the pandemic, but I really love the idea of being a hospital administrator who gets to go around and ask people about you know, how's it going? Do you, my main tagline is, do you feel safe and supported today? So safe meaning, do you feel safe from getting COVID or, or any other thing at the hospital, but supported, like, do you feel supported as the person who you are with the background that you have? So I think that that's been, it's just really rewarding to me every day to do that. I think it's one of the things though, that is when we talk about lover work, it's one of the things that, you know, you have to for me, I need to make sure to not give it all at work, right? Mm. Like there's needs to be some of that that comes home with me. I can pour myself out there, but you know, I really, with Andrew's help, have had a lot of support in also being, you know, really working hard to be a present mommy when I'm at home, which I don't always do. Take me back to a moment where that all came out, like a, a story that you remember when it was like, man, this is a a hard tension moment, like every day. Yeah, yeah especially when they're younger, you know, five o'clock would roll around and I'm home with three little kids and trying to make all that work. And I mean, she really does love her work and it's easy to slide down that slope of 
investing more and more and more time and taking on more and more responsibility. And five o'clock would roll around and I'd be livid. Dunsies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like you need to get here because it's a zoo. And and I tremendously miss those times now. I was going to start crying. I I would love to go back to those days. But yeah, those were those were times when it was stressful. I think it's gotten easier as they've gotten older yeah. and more self-sufficient and they have other interests and everyone's, you know, distracted with their own things and they can do things for themselves. It's gotten it's gotten easier. But I also then feel the tension of everyone spreading out and becoming a little distant, you know, as a family. So trying to rein that in as well. Let's go back a little bit about to the stay home dad kind of thing. Like back then, I mean, even now it's not like the norm, obviously, but even back then, I feel like it probably was even less so. Tell me about like that whole gender norm differences and how that felt for you and how that felt as a dad. There hasn't been a day that I regretted that. Back in 2009, when I started staying at home, there were dads who were doing that, but it was pretty rare. Um, but there have been dads doing that before that I can network with. But, you know, as a dad with a stroller or a couple dads with a stroller walking around, you know, certainly it was not as common as it is now. I can remember one of us, I and another dad with our kids, we walked into the vortex with our strollers and they, <laughs> they told us we needed to leave because apparently strollers uh not allowed we learned a lot of things for listeners the vortex is a A bar bar. in atlanta that has amazing cheeseburgers let's be crystal clear the best in the city but you have to be 21 21 to come in or something so yeah (laughs) there's an age limit our dad dad brains were not working at the at the moment we wanted to get a beer and a burger and then it was a lot of hanging out with moms Hmm. yeah that's what i would imagine you have to find play dates and all the things right yeah. And so I think for the most part, it was comfortable. And, you know, as far as a man being a primary caretaker, I had no issue with that. I'm all about, you know, Colleen doing what she does, doing it well, being supportive of her and celebrating her and allowing her to do that and me being supportive of that. I think more women need to be in roles like that. I'm a, I'm a big advocate for women taking on more leadership and responsibility where they would like to. But it certainly has changed. And I think, you know, there's a lot more men walking around with, you know, kids strapped to them now. And whether they're stay-at-home dads or not, there's a, I think there's a comfort level probably with the current generation with young kids mm-hmm. that's very comfortable with being very visibly connected to their kids. Was that a big just relief for you, Colleen? I mean, I can imagine if you're trying to really pursue your career and go someplace with it. I think that that might have been just relieving to know that you have your partner there with the kids rather than either than a stranger or a nanny or whatever. I mean, was that relieving or did that actually cause more tension or more, you know, issues? So definitely both, I think. So I remember very vividly when we had uh, two little boys and we were getting our food made for us at that one of those like my girlfriend's kitchen places because we just, we were both working two in daycare. And so it was just like, you know, you always hit the ground running. The the difference that I felt after, and, and, and I will have to say that when I dropped my children off at daycare, like I left my heart there. I really struggled to focus at work. I mean, I was also exhausted 
from having little kids and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not sure that it's only that they were in daycare, but that was hard for me to hand my little one over to somebody else. And of course, things are different when they're older and they can take care of themselves. But I think one of the things I felt when Andrew started staying home was that he's off the clock as soon as I get home. And so for a long time, I felt like work was my break because then I, at home, I would be on. More, more on call with the more kids. More on call with helping, the kids. Helping out. And that's probably true. I did, I did probably re- relax <laughs> in the evenings more than I should have. It's like the, the typical handoff, like, your turn. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go take a walk or go have a beer with a friend. By myself. It's just tiresome because For I the work. Yeah. yeah. And I'm the mom. There's no break. There's no break. I've had to learn a lot about myself quickly. It is different when the boys are older. It's funny because Andy misses the like little boy days. And I really like the like some of the parts of the angsty teenager. I do like we have relationships. We talk about things like those things. I really love that sort of dialogue. I like the texting when I'm not at work. The texting on the weekends is fine, but they're not supposed to text me lots when I'm at work because it's <laughs> there's an adult at home that can help you. Yeah. You know, mom, where's this? Okay, is your what wrong with you or what? <laughs> but I want that. Like, I feel like probably I'm more a central mom to them because dad stays home, right? Like, I know everything that happens to them. I have so much relief because somebody that loves them as much as I do is with them all day. And then I know everything that's happening and I can help. It's just, I still feel tired. <laughs> so, but that's also something like, you know, what we mentioned before that I probably need to like care less about work some, mm, right? Like, yeah. Our kids are about to enter high school. And I actually think that's a super, super, I mean, I think it's all important, but I think it's a really important time for us to be present mm. with our kids just because there's, for ours, they're going to be doing a big transition from private school to public school, which would be very fun. And we're really looking forward to that. They need both parents there do as much as they can. So we have different relationships with the kids, so they need that. Our third child is the first child that had no daycare. So our oldest was three years old when Andy started staying home. Our middle was nine months. And then our littlest was born and so only had the daddy as the caregiver. And I remember the night before I went back to work where Andy was like, "Mm, I don't really like the newborn little baby stage. Okay. I hadn't experienced what? that yet alone. <laughs> wait, 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 what? You know, this is not going to work if you don't like this. It's also like when we bought the minivan uh, before we had our first, actually. Well, I was like eight months pregnant, so we weren't Yeah, we're about late. to have it, and we're sitting, and we, we bought it, and we're both sitting in the car dealership, and I say, I'm not going to drive this. And we just bought it, and Colleen said, well, I wasn't planning to drive it. <laughs> So, <laughs> that's great. Like, why are we getting a minivan? A lot of anticipating. <laughs> but we just loved it because it was like going to be so convenient, but neither of us wanted to drive it. So Andrew ended up driving it. Yeah. I think in terms of like stress and work and, and home is that the littlest, um, it turns out that, you know, you can really know their personality at birth. And he was like, he's super stubborn. But we didn't really realize that, you know, until you get to know them when they're older. But he refused to eat from Andy all day long. From a bottle. So, of course, I'm like, stressing out. popping the bottle? Are you like ignoring him? You, you know, care like, about our child? <laughs> and starving him? Are you're you like, distracted? not being a good dad to the baby and 
you know, cause then I would come home and then it would be like his daytime for eating and then, which would be my nighttime. So you can imagine at six months of that, I was fried to say the least, yeah. but that was a huge tension because I was like, you know, those daycare ladies would have gotten him to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and you just were like ignoring him, but it just turns out he's also like that way anyways. Like, I think he was just right. like, nope. Sorry, I'm just going to wait for the real deal here. Y'all can try to feed me about it all day. I don't care. Yeah. It, it, it almost killed me. That's hilarious. Now I want to go back. I, we were kind of talking about gender, gender norms. Yeah. I mean, on the flip side, you've experienced that also, Colleen, as you've raised in your influence, you've kind of experienced it in a different way. Could you share a little bit about that? Obviously, there's a lot more women in the workforce, especially during the pandemic. Obviously, in recent years, people's jobs and who's at home and who's you know working from home or staying at home has changed quite a bit. I think the main thing that's hard for me is being the breadwinner. I find that to be the most stressful. So I have lots of friends that are working that have spouses that are also working. And so, you know, they're working mothers, they're working parents, but I don't have tons of friends or no tons of people where the wife is the sole or main breadwinner. That's been a stress that it's been hard for me to like cope with. Obviously, Andy and I talked about it a lot, but that's been sort of a challenge for me. Let's talk about that. What What is the challenge with that? What goes through your head? What's the story you tell yourself related to that tension? Have you heard of the book Strengths Finder? Of course you have. One of the strengths is responsibility. You know, I have a lot of stress on that. It's my responsibility to provide, right? Like I got to do a really good job at my work so that I, you know, there's no issues in my job security or in our financial well-being. It just feels isolating sometimes. Mm. Just because when I talk to other friends about their frustrations about work, one of their choices is to stop working. Now, remember, I love what I do. That's not an option for me to sort of just stop working because my husband is also working. You know, I remember going to like women's retreats and us talking about our stress. And that's just not a stress that I have a lot of colleagues that face as well. That's really interesting. Your role in culture is very unique. And I think it really plays a role also in this work-life balance tension of the projects you're often working on have exponential amounts of impact on like large groups of population, right? Like it's not, it's not even just an individual. Like, so you're involved in these really massive issues that are affecting people, which is a great responsibility. And then you go home and you have to think about these three boys. Like, is that a tension you guys feel as a couple? Even Andy, like, go do this thing so that we can address this cultural issue right now. Or does that come out in conversation? I mean, I guess you make it sound like it's a lot more amazing than it is. It is amazing. The work you do is really important. Yeah, but I think, I mean, there's a team. There's other people that can do it. I get I get support. I mean, I think what I love about my husband, I love many things about him, but one of them is that he's my biggest critic. Mm. And I also love that and the boys and my biggest fan. That's a key to our relationship. We're like that for each other. I mean, I like coming home to the boys being like, we don't care if you're on TV, just come watch this show with us. Right. Or, 
you know, you're late because, you know, I wanted you to come. So I, I like the, the rootedness of having a family that they're like, whatever, mom. We're both in the medical field. So I love this kind of science background, but, you know, especially with the pandemic and things like that. So there's a lot of science and there's a lot of facts. And then there's like, and the reality of what's happening in the global world And then there's like a lot of fears that our kids probably have and a lot of like unsure feelings and all of those things. How do you balance kind of this idea of like, you really want your kids to know science and facts and a true understanding of like global issues, but yet not elicit fear and trembling <laughs> in their hearts and souls, you know, in that way. So how, how have you kind of learned to talk with the kids or, or what advice even would you give like mothers and parents that are trying to talk to their kids about the realities of right now? It needs to be very relational and contextual. So for instance, if you talk about things like we have friends that have special needs kids, we learn a lot. And I also learn how to be extremely grateful for my situation when I'm around them. Our kids met one of our Ebola patients later on. Um, our kids have um, been to Africa. And so I think exposing your kids, you know, we take our kids to funerals. I think, you know, having things that they understand somebody has XYZ and and this is how mom and dad feel. I think it becomes overwhelming, Andre, when it's like all these people are suffering in a place Out that I've there. not been. And, yeah. And um I don't know what to do about it. I mean I feel that way. Like we had two friends who both had cancer and died within two months of each other in their early fifties. Mm. Yeah, leaving behind two leaving kids. behind two children. I mean, we had extended the offer to adopt them, but thankfully there was like a family member that they had been their caregiver because their parents had been so sick. So that was an incredibly horrible time. Yeah. I mean, I, there's like not a day that goes by that I don't think about them. Our kids were with us and all that. They came to the funeral. You know, they knew what was happening. They knew those people. But all those things are really important learning for them to understand like life and death and sickness, knowing people that have various illnesses. We don't hide that from them. In fact, I, I much prefer people to them to have knowledge of like people around us that may have things going on rather than this sort of like abstract out in the world, you know, like I don't really know how to interact with that. So yeah, I mean, what you're describing is just basic honesty and transparency through everything. And I think as as our boys get older, it becomes more and more critical to have had a foundation of that since they've been young, talking to them about really everything. And you've, you get a gold star, Colleen, for you know, making sure that our boys know anything that we're working through as a family or experiencing, and making sure that we are talking with them about that and being transparent, especially as they get into the teenage years. You know, Colleen being able to continue that and ha- we have a foundation of that honesty and transparency, not just about science and health and you know, life and death issues, but just about everything happening that our family touches, having that to continue on, I think is critical, especially as we get into these middle school and teenage years. Andy, as you have been kind of working with, I actually don't know how many different refugee individual families you have worked with, but I'm curious what you've learned about parenting from the people you have had the opportunity to work with and what have you integrated into your family? Primarily, it's the families first and 
and running a small business that can be frustrating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get that. <laughs> being being the owner of a small business that can be is that what you mean? Yes, we are second to what the family needs, and especially for women in our workforce. You know, you know, certainly within our own culture, but other cultures as even more so. The women are the primary caregivers. So, somebody's sick, it's the wife who stays home. Yep. Somebody misses school, it's the wife who stays home. The dad, they got their job, they keep on working. And largely we employ women. So, you know, it's a roller coaster every day. Who's showing up if they communicate with us? And so, you know, I mean, that's the plus side for them. You know, they really prioritize family and, you know, the coming to work can be a secondary consideration. Do you feel like you need to like educate these fathers and help them understand that they could be supportive of their, (laughs) it's like... Why don't you support your wife and you stay home one day? A rope comes to mind. Okay. <laughs> it's like the opposite of you two. I know we have a lot of listeners that have boys. And I think raising boys is a passion of yours and was given to you in a lot of ways. What have you learned and could teach us Yeah, that you love about raising boys or that you have, have learned that's unique about raising boys? I mean, you got to be physical. It's, it's all about like busy, you know, the physicality of like action and busyness. I think as much as I uh, would have liked to have had a daughter, at least everybody's in the same mode all the time. So (laughs) there's always like physical activity is, is, is a big thing. And also if you're not somebody that's a physical activity person and you're a boy mom, you will become that, or you will have to figure something else out. Colleen's been doing a lot more camping. Yes. Yeah. And that's because yeah. I'm truly devoted to my husband. <laughs> there, that's it. She doesn't like it. <laughs> well, I have learned to love it. <laughs> um, I mean, I really like a lot of things about camping. There's just some other things about camping I don't like. Boys, you know, they also love their mom. So I always say I have a husband and three boyfriends. Oh, so sweet. I think this doesn't matter if you have boys or girls. But you spending time just with that child, um, you know, one-on-one as, as much as possible. So the oldest, we, you know, it's amazing how much they will tell you when they're not looking you in the face and you're both laying down and, and chit-chatting. Got one that uh, likes to take walks and hold hands. You know, one that wants you to be engaged with him and his project. So just figuring out sort of, I mean, I think their love language is all physical affection. And that's also my love language. So it works well for all of us. But I mean, you know, there is a relationship to be built sort of on that. So that's what I've enjoyed is moving from like that caretaking physical dependence aspect of like little boys to, you know, helping them to be independent guys. And that's, that's something that Andrew grew up with. I did not grow up with that, but I've really enjoyed trying to get them to sort of do their own thing and learn, learn how to do things themselves. And so it's been... It's been fun. So I don't know. I think physicality and one-on-one is important. And then, you know, still remembering that even though they are boys, they do have, I think, feelings somewhere. And so trying to sort of work on articulating that or understanding that. You know, for staying home with them, it's, you know, certainly if we had had three girls, that would have been great. But, you know, my activity interests and things that we're doing, it's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty easy fit. Running around with three boys, and you know what we've done over the last twelve years that I've been home. The budget for clothing is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's exactly. A lot more for you. Yep, more for me. (laughs) All right. Has the pandemic changed your parenting and how? Since the pandemic started about a year ago, a lot of things have changed. I think, you know, our, our oldest son has really become a teenager. Um, the influence of technology has been like a tsunami for us um, in the last year. Um, and then you've got the COVID and isolation. And to me, that's the biggest challenge of parenting so far, which is maybe why I miss the younger years, especially right now. Definitely the technology is everywhere. And I think we maybe were prideful about how well we have pushed technology to the side and resisted it for so long. And then COVID started. And then that's really how our boys stayed connected to friends, right? And they were doing virtual school and computers then were everywhere in our house. And the ability to text and I got to see my friends and I can only talk to them through this game. So can I have this video game? And it was just, it was all of this and trying to put that toothpaste back in the tube right now is proving to be a bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. That's been hard over the last year. And it's probably been my greatest source of frustration. We've had the most sit down family talks about technology and just how it's everywhere. I want to dig into that because I, what I hear you saying is that you had to kind of let it happen because that was the only thing that could happen for a season. And now you're trying to pull it back and trying to make sense of that to your kids. I mean, that's probably literally every listener with children. Yeah, I mean, so. <laughs> it's a lot of like education now too about safe and good uses of technology as well, right? I mean, yeah, and our con, my, you know, the constant talking points that we have as a family is that it's not bad. All these things are good, but rather than just giving them a firm, hard no, 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 we are trying to work as a family together so that we use it in responsible ways and we have some discipline around it. Right. And how do we how do we train our boys to have discipline themselves? Because we're not always around. They need to show discipline and restraint themselves without without us directing their every moment with a device. And so that's really our challenge that we're working through. And it's a slow, unclear, a bit painful process. Yeah. Yeah. I admire Andrew for trying to do it that way because when I'm at home, I say, Oh. I give them a list called the BTV list. So they get a before TV list and they have to do it all before they get television. So I grow weary of the um, <laughs> trying to like give them space. I don't know that it's good for them to have two separate things, but you know, then they're using it as a carrot the whole time, hmm. right? Like they're only doing these things because they're going to get TV at the end, which Andy's really challenged me about a lot, which is, you know, it can't just be like this reward system. It's got to be, you know, trying to understand like, you know, when is it toxic? When is it, you know, healthy? How do you decide? Yeah. I admire what you do for it, but then I get really rigid sometimes. And I'm like, no, you just, the answer is no. And you will do all of these things and anything else I ask you to before you do television. (laughs) Yeah. We're saying the same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm totally good with the Here's your list. Get your screen time done. It's the uh, constant pinging of texting or calling with friends, right? Yeah. Like it's calling you. These devices keep calling our kids back, right? So I've got to check this this text and I've got to respond to this. And 
So we're, you know, trying to work with, you know, we're fine with some of that communication that happens with our kids, but you know, it can't be a six hour night of playing a game and then, you know, texting my friends and talking all night and connecting family. That's more what I'm getting at. Yeah. One of the things that I, that's kind of stressed me out about this is now I'm feeling like we have to start offering like better things than TV to get our kids away from TV. Hmm. And I think that that's, you know, even just defining, like just even saying that to me sounds kind of funny because it's like family time and board games and being outside, you know, should be more important, but in our, you know, in the, you know, it isn't that much fun, right. You'd much rather play Mario Kart, whatever, than do, you know, be outside gardening with dad. So trying to figure out enjoyment and some of these things that they have thought are tasks has been sort of a challenge as well. Like I will say, you just have to be outside. I literally don't care what you're doing. You're not going to help us in the garden. Fine. But you will be outside and you won't have your device. Like you're not going to do a screen outside, but you just have to be outside. So get a book, sit in the sun, play with the dog, play badminton, but you know, sort of trying to give them independence and choices, but also like push trying to pull them away from that. I can totally relate with that. Last night, my son and I, we had to run an errand to Dick's Sporting Goods. And I'm like, how do we make this fun? Like, okay, they, we played basically putt-putt golf on the, you know, where you test out the putters or whatever at Dick's Sporting Goods. And we had a blast. And on the way home, he goes, what time is it? And, you know, I was like, oh, it's eight o'clock. He's like, oh, it's like, what's the problem? And he said, well, you, you ate into my, what I could watch on TV. I'm like, are you kidding me? I was like, so you're telling me that you didn't have any fun over the last hour when we were just playing that game. You know, like it was like this battle. And so I can relate exactly what you're saying, Colleen. Like, well, I had to create a better experience than him watching whatever, Wipeout, whatever it was on TV that he wanted to see. It made no sense to me. Yeah, that sense of entitlement that, you know, our kids, sounds like yours as well, feel that they are owed this time, you know, yeah. is frustrating. And so, you know, easily we could just say, no, nope, everything's done. But I don't think that's also a solution. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I think we are working together to have some good habits and discipline. Um, it's, it would be easy for us, you know, just like we did before COVID. We had very strict, easily defined technology, you know, allotments that our yeah. kids it was fine. But COVID blew that up. And, but I also think the age of our kids too, they, they've really matured in a way in the last yeah, season. Yeah. That too. So it's that just the timing thing and their need to socially connect with friends. Yeah. What is something you wanted to share that you have learned in your journey that you did not get a chance to share yet? I will just talk about disconnecting from work. And that is one of the things I have, uh, has been part of my desire to love camping mm-hmm. is that being in preferably not in cell phone range is almost like a form of accountability for me. So that's why I've been enjoying some of these trips because if I can't be reached, then I can't be reached. And that's really um, sometimes the only way that I'll get out of my work mode. I don't get notification from my emails trying to like minimize my own, you know, watching screen time around here Mm. and elsewhere, trying to minimize my own like dependence on my phone you know, because it's easy to say, well, I'm doing the screen time for work. That's the other thing that I think is really funny with the boys. They're like, well, you're doing stuff. I'm like, this is for work. Do you want to have clothes and a house over your head? Um, <laughs> that rationale will never make sense to your kids, though. Yeah. 
practicing disconnection has been something that I'm, I, I, I think I've done better, at least in the last couple of months from COVID, probably not initially, but still better than like during my days of Ebola when I felt like I lived at the hospital, but really trying to be intentional as you can to con- disconnect. I'm not good at it at all. So I would, I'd probably get a big F in that. But I do think that the way that um, we've been doing our vacations this year have been helpful because it's allows us, like it's not a setting that's like conducive to sitting on your laptop doing the work. So that's been nice. I, I really love being outside. I like the FaceTime with the boys and I like the disconnection um, from work. But I think you really have to put boundaries around that. Otherwise, I think it can consume you. So then we ask everybody, is it possible to change the world, stay in love and raise a healthy family? Uh, yeah. So I have definitely thought about this question. I would say that it's, you know, in the order of, you know, love, family, and then world. And, you know, not to overuse that term, right-sizing, but I think the world that we're trying to save is right-sized to the phase that we're in, right? And it's proportional, how much time we spend, how much availability we have for, you know, that world is determined by what's happening within our family, what's happening within our relationship. And that, the world that we are helping out with, you know, our world, our community, our neighborhood, the world as a whole, you know, it needs to flex depending on where we're at as a family. And so I think we've certainly seen that with our interest in refugees, with Colleen's, you know, work in public health. Uh, We're now getting into paddling a lot and, um, you know, on the South River. And so we're, we're beginning to spend more time on that. But that will probably have a season and fade off and then we will pick up something else. But I think it has to work first for us, for our family, and then we can figure out, you know, how we're helping around us. So the answer is yes. I think our relationship for us is I need accountability for saving the world. So having accountability and feedback around my actions doing that has been really critical, I think, for making sure that we are, you know, that we're spending the right kind of time and the right kind of influence on influencing the three little guys that we can do the most influence of, right? So I I think a lot about changing the world through having three kids that are part of the solution, right? I mean, what, what, what could I do better than, than those guys being not part of the problem, but part of the solution? And now it's time for the breakdown. What'd you think? Well, sir? this technology thing, I think I think all of us are thinking about it. All we, of us are struggling. You know, we all kind of had this thing as parents where we're like, screen time, don't worry about screen time. Our kids are on school for their screen. And then they think, well, can I get screen time after my screen time? Which is, for them, would be like playing a game or something. And then after their game screen time, they're like, let's have... A fa- let's watch a family show screen time. It's like, wait, just because it's a different screen doesn't mean it's not screen time. It is. I definitely feel like virtual school and virtual everything has changed a lot of things. I mean, I remember back when we were parenting young kids, it was like, you know, you only want your kids on a screen for one to two hours a day, the maximum. And I'm like, well, my kids are on a screen now for eight hours a day for school. So now what? 
Now what's your new recommendation from the Association of Pediatrics? Please help me now because this isn't working anymore. They can't be in person. They can't be on screen. What are these kids supposed to do? They can't do anything. I know. This is this is really a tough age and stage. And I, I mean, it is also interesting what this, like, studying this in the future. Yeah, it's going to be With technology, very with kids and parenting. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. But, but I can relate with a lot of what they were saying. Like, how do you now... Okay. These are our conversations yeah, yeah. all the time. Post-Zoom everything. And this isn't just for kids. This is adults. Yeah. How do we re-engage in humanity in relationships again? How do we re-engage in figuring out a fun game to play in the backyard or... Yeah. And true face-to-face interactions. Yeah. And how do we reclaim actual FaceTime? Yes. Not FaceTime, but FaceTime. Yes. I do agree with what Andrea was saying, too, about just the idea of learning discipline just in general, right? Like this whole... The big concept of learning how to discipline yourselves with the technology you do have as a important part of this too. But then I resonate with Colleen because I'm like, nope, turn it off. We're going outside. I don't care what you do. Go outside. You know, so it's it's a hard, tough battle for sure. It was interesting to hear Colleen share about the stress of being a breadwinner. Because mm-hmm. um, men don't talk about that. They, it's an, okay. I don't know how to fully explain. But men feel that. I don't know how to fully explain this to you because I feel the, the responsibility to provide to which you respond. I never told you, you should feel the responsibility to provide, but you never feel the responsibility to provide. Oh, I do. Yeah. Because I don't have the option. I mean, I know you work, But at this point in our life, I don't have the option to quit, like what Colleen said. I I don't feel like I have that option. I mean, I'm your insurance is on me. All the kids' insurance is on me. Uh, You know what I mean? So I I don't feel that we're in that financial space where she was saying, well, other women say, well, they could just quit if they wanted to. Maybe. I'm not disagreeing with that. This is a yes and. I just think, this is my opinion, and I'm curious, feel free to respond back to it and, you know, say I'm wrong, obviously. But, like, I think that you, in our marriage, in our life together, you have felt a greater guilt towards the kids. Like not being like you feel that that mom guilt. So I think we've called it in the past. I feel a greater responsibility to provide. So if you were to prioritize, yours would be on that front. Mine would be on that second thing. And it was it was refreshing to hear from her saying that she, I, I could relate with her mm-hmm. and not feel bad about them. Yeah, I get that. I also don't have, I think, in just in terms of our relationship and just me as a person, yeah. I don't have this real big thing with money. You don't. So I think that's part of my issue, whether I was, when I have been the sole breadwinner, I still didn't have a large connection and feeling with money per, per se. Hearing her say it was reassuring to me. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I also really like how 
what Andrew was saying at the end about when he answered the last question, he put it in the context of love, then family, then world, then world changing. And that the world changing part needs to flex to what the love and family part is already doing. And I thought that was really interesting. I don't think we've heard those exact, like the wording of like the right size and how that world changing has to be like in the right size and proportion to the first two of love and family. Yeah, because I overarching, they use, we oftentimes use the same word. He uses flex or, but we use, we need to be flexible. And he would say, I think how he was alluding to is like, no, they, the, the other thing needs to flex for the sake the of the work. Yeah, the needs work needs to, to flex. flex. And I really like that. Yeah, I do too. I, I literally don't think a single person has said that, but that's in our podcast yet as our answer. And that was I refreshing. loved it. Yes. Yeah, loved it. These two are brilliant. Yeah, I hope you learned or just, you know, I hope even that it just brought about conversation or thoughts or questions that you want to talk to your partner about after listening to this. We always hope that you're learning. We always hope that you're connecting. And if there's anything that uh, you loved about this podcast, reach out to us. And also if there's any people or persons or organizations that we should also interview and connect with, reach out to us on IG. us up. If you don't know what IG is, it's Instagram. Oh. Okay. On the IG. Is that what the kids are saying these Follow days? Follow us at love or work and uh, send us a message. Oh, that was a nice way of saying it. DM us. Slide, Slide into <laughs> our couple's DM. Oh, Lord. That sounds weird. That's bad. All right. It's been another episode of Love or Work. Thanks for joining us. Have a good day. This episode was recorded by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.